Isn't that a great clip? I love it. We can all be better followers of Jesus, and that's a great example uh, for us today. If you have your Bibles with you or your Bible app, we want you to open them to John chapter 3 in the New Testament, John chapter 3, and we're going to focus today on a very familiar passage where a guy named Nicodemus comes to Jesus and begins to ask him some questions. John chapter 3, we're going to going to get down into the uh, scripture in just a few moments. Uh, first, I want you to imagine that you're at a NASCAR race. And I, I enjoy NASCAR and have served at RIR as a volunteer over the years through uh, the Central Virginia Baptist Ministries. And at about every NASCAR race, the opening ceremonies will include an invocation, the national anthem, and often a flyover. Maybe it's the Blue Angels or the Thunderbirds or the Air National Guard from Virginia. And then the master of ceremonies will say something like, and now for the most famous words in auto racing, and then the Grand Marshal will say, drivers, because Danica Patrick is now racing, drivers, start your engines. And then you hear the thunderous roar of the engines fill the grandstands, and the race is on its way. I would submit today that the passage that we're studying this morning includes, might just include, the most famous words in the Christian faith. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. John 3.16. John 3.16 is seen in all kinds of places. It's even at football games. If you've ever been to a football game, you know that you've seen it. John 3.16 is the gospel in a sentence. Well-known Baptist scholar A.T. Robertson, who died in 1934, said, This little gospel, as it is often called, is a just and marvelous interpretation of the mission and message of our Lord. And then Max Lucado, uh, an author and pastor many of you are familiar with, states, John 3.16 is a 26-word parade of hope, beginning with God, ending with life, urging us to do the same. Brief enough to write on a napkin or memorize in a moment, yet solid enough to weather 2,000 years of storms and questions. If you know nothing about the Bible, he writes, start here. And if you know everything about the Bible, return here. We all need the reminder. The heart of the human problem is the human heart, he writes. And God's treatment is prescribed in John 3, 16. He loves. He gave. We believe. We live. He loves. He gave. We believe. And we live. Why would God give his one and only son? Have you ever thought about that? Because he loves. Just how much does he love us? Think about this. If you were the only person on the face of the earth, as I understand God, God would still have sent his son Jesus for you. Augustine says it like this, Jesus 
loves each one of us as if there was only one of us to love. Jesus loves each one of us as if there was only one of us to love. My paraphrase is, God loves each of us as if there were no other, and he loves us all just the same. And if you think about that for a minute, that, that's, that's amazing. It's mind-boggling, really. And I'm thankful that God loved me. I'm thankful that God loves you. And I pray that you are able to tell your story of God. If you're a believer, I pray that you're able to tell that to others. If you're not a believer, that God has a story planned for you and all of your life that you lived thus far is part of that story that he is writing and that you can share your story and help others to understand how God has worked in, in your life. Often our family of origin plays a part in our faith story, our decisions. And I would say as, as your new pastor that... Um, just some of my heart, some of my story as I came to understand God and begin that faith journey. When I was seven years old, our family moved to Charleston, South Carolina from Atlanta, before that, Philadelphia. And when we moved to Charleston, we started attending a Presbyterian church that was a new church start meeting in the country club, I guess you call it the clubhouse building of a golf course. And I will never forget how the pastor, Reverend Richard Cushman, would take the kids and the youth out shark tooth hunting down in the low country when they were putting new roads in or a new neighborhood. Uh, there, there were fossils everywhere in that area, and he would take us out. We would dig fossils and shark's teeth. And then I will always remember going into the kitchen of the clubhouse to eat the leftover communion bread with the pastor's son. So that was really cool. And then later, fast forward to when I was in ninth grade, my mom and stepdad now uh, had moved to the upstate of South Carolina to Anderson, where I ended up finishing and going to high school, and went to this Presbyterian church and went through their confirmation classes and was presented before the elders and joined the church. But this is just me. I, I think I just went through it just because that's what you were supposed to do. If you were to ask me uh, then if I really had a personal relationship with Jesus, I'm not sure that I would have been able to answer that. In my sophomore year of high school, I had a spiritual wake-up call. Our high school, now you can do this in South Carolina back then, I reckon, uh, my high school invited a motivational speaker to come to our assembly. And we were all gathered there, and it was a great motivational speaker. And then we had the opportunity to go hear him at that same night down town in the town's assembly hall. And so I went. I went to hear him. His name was David Stockwell, and he's still to this day an evangelist going all over the world. And I must have enjoyed his talk at school because I decided to attend that evening. But that night wasn't such a motivational speech as it was him sharing Jesus. He gave a message, a simple message about Jesus. And, and then he offered an invitation. And I remember sitting on the edge of the aisle uh, toward the, the front. And I, I felt this just force move me out of my seat. And the next thing I know, I'm down at the front and I'm praying with a counselor. And I made a decision that night to receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. That 
that was January the 13th, 1983. You can do the math. It was a little while ago. And that night they gave me this Bible, the Love Bible. And I've always cherished it and kept it close uh, to me. And on the inside of, of, of my Bible, I wrote, Tonight, January 13th, 83, I accepted Jesus into my life when I was listening to David Stockwell preach the Word of God. My life changed. And then, a couple of months later, I was baptized in the Atlantic Ocean on the Isle of Palms, along with my brother. And you can see the picture of my brother all the way into the left, and I'm on the right. My mother uh, to my brother's uh, right, and then Charlene to my left. And Charlene was the pastor who baptized me and my brother that day in the Atlantic Ocean. And I'll never forget coming out of the cold Atlantic Ocean water saying, Praise the Lord! Now, I don't know if I was praising the Lord because it was over and I was getting out of the cold water or praising the Lord for what it just experienced. I think it was both. But on the inside of the, this Bible, on the other side, I wrote, I'm born again. I'm born again. And sometimes people have a tough time understanding what it means to be born again. And there was an influential scholar around the time of Jesus' day in Jerusalem named Nicodemus who had the same, we will find, it had the same struggle. John tells us that he was a Pharisee and that uh, meant that he spent his whole life studying the, the Word of God and observing the scribal laws. There were countless rules and regulations that had been compiled for everyday Jewish living. Uh, Pharisee meant to be set apart, literally, and he did that. He set himself apart to spend his life in that way. He was also a member, says John, of the Jewish ruling council, which is called the Sanhedrin. This was a select group of men who were sort of like the supreme court of the Jewish people. It had jurisdiction over all the people. So one night, Nicodemus comes to Jesus in Jerusalem, and he, he needed to talk with Jesus. Maybe he didn't want to bring attention to himself. Maybe he was afraid of what his colleagues might say if they saw him go to him in the daytime. So he goes at night and, and he quietly finds Jesus. And he began in verse 2 of chapter 3 with an inferred question. If you look at the Greek, you can see that this is an inferred question and Jesus actually gives a response. He says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the miracles, the miraculous signs you're doing if God were not with him. Imagine it like this. We know you're a, a, a teacher who's come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you're doing if God were not with him, right? Can you help me here, Jesus? And then Jesus gives an answer. Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. No one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. And then Nicodemus asks a second question in verse 4. How can someone be born again when they're old? Jesus? Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. That's the only thing that happens once. And then Jesus gives him an answer. 
And Nicodemus, Nicodemus asked it a third question. How can this be in verse 9? So there's this discourse of Nicodemus being born as a human, but also a spiritual person. There's a physical birth of water, and there's a spiritual birth of the Spirit. And that's what happens when somebody is born again. Uh, when we receive salvation, we are immediately indwelled by the Holy Spirit. We receive the Holy Spirit. It's not a second uh, event or activity of God. And we are born again, born of the flesh and born of the spirit. And so Nicodemus is having a hard time with this. Uh, and he says in verse 9, how does this work? I need to know how this works. You ever seen the show on Discovery Channel, How Stuff Works? And they talk about like popcorn and how popcorn is made and manufactured and, and distributed and, and microwaved. And uh, so he says, how does this work? And uh, maybe he's just filled with uncertainty, or maybe he's like a lot of us and just needed more proof. And here's the neat thing. Jesus didn't shrug him off. Jesus didn't just send him somewhere else. Jesus stayed with him. When most people would give up on us, Jesus continues to engage with us and uh, in the hopes that Nicodemus would simply believe. But when Nicodemus doesn't seem to grasp the concepts that Jesus had shared, he reached back into the days of the Israelites as they wandered in the desert. This is the passage that you heard Matthew read a little bit earlier. And he told a story to Nicodemus that Nicodemus would have known very well, especially since he was a Pharisee. It's the story recorded in Numbers chapter 21, where God told Moses to take a pole and make a bronze snake and put the pole on the snake the snake on the pole, and then hold it up so that the people could see it and live. By the way, this is the common symbol. This is the story where we get the common symbol for EMS. Paramedics. Ambulance. The snake on the pole. So let's look at John chapter 3 and verse 10 and following. You are Israel's teacher, Jesus says to Nicodemus, and you do not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but you, you people, plural, you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Jesus was speaking about the cross. He would be lifted up on the cross and after such torturous punishment. And he would die on the cross. And then God would lift him up the third day and he would be risen. And I think there's dual meaning in what Jesus is saying here. But he goes back to this story in the book of Numbers as he's talking to Nicodemus, trying to find that way to connect with Nicodemus on Nicodemus' own terms and help him to understand spiritual matters. I imagine Jesus looks at Nicodemus and says this, all right, Nicodemus, you remember that story, right? Absolutely. My mother taught it to me. Her mother taught it to her. 
I've believed that since I was a kid. Sure, I believe that. Maybe Jesus says, all right, Nicodemus, why don't you explain that to me? How is how was one healed by just looking at the snake? And maybe Nicodemus said, I don't know how it worked. I just know that it worked. Perhaps you and I can make sense of this because just because we can't explain something doesn't mean it's not true. Just because we might not be able to explain how God raised a man from the dead scientifically and give the evidence to somebody doesn't mean that the resurrection of Jesus is not true. We may not be able to explain spiritual things about how God comes in and changes the heart of a person and makes them a new creation, but that doesn't mean it's not true. Our lives are the testimony to others. They can see the evidence as we live the Christian life. And it was Nicodemus' questioning of Jesus that night that led Jesus to tell the basic truths of the gospel for all humankind. That's where we find John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. And then verse 17. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through Him. And this passage helps me to articulate why I follow Jesus. Jesus is approachable. He did not turn Nicodemus away. He didn't send him to somebody else to get the answers to his questions. He didn't tell him to look up uh, the, the answer in some more religious books. He stayed with Nicodemus. Jesus is approachable. He welcomes us all, saints and sinners. And it was much of his ministry uh, through interruption where people came to know him, he stopped what he was doing to pay attention to a single person along the way where he was going. Think of the Samaritan woman at the well or the sick or the blind or the lame or the rich and the poor, the unclean, children, tax collectors, sinners. Jesus never showed favoritism. He never turned anybody away. He welcomed everyone, even a Pharisee who came to him in the evening. And I follow Jesus because he accepts me with all my fears and doubts. I love that Charlotte Elliott song, Just As I Am, where she says, Just as I am, though tossed about with many a conflict, many a doubt, fightings within and fears without, O Lamb of God, I come. He, we can come to him anytime and we can tell him anything. The old gospel, let's have a little talk with Jesus and tell him all about our troubles. He'll hear our famous cry. He'll answer by and by. Feel a little prayer wheel turning. You know a little fire's a burning. Let's have a little talk with Jesus. Gonna make it right. We can tell him anything. And Jesus changes our lives. Our lives. I am a different person because of my relationship with God. I still make mistakes, I still fall far short of the expectations that God has for me, but because of His forgiveness, I can sleep at night. My marriage has an inner strength that it would never have had before. I feel that I'm a better father and husband than I otherwise would have been, 
and God nudges me when I'm about to make a poor decision or say something that I shouldn't. I believe our family has a better understanding of financial things. I see the world differently, and I want to see with the eyes of God. And that's what the Holy Spirit does when He changes our lives. And then the last bullet point is He changes our lives. You might say, Bob, that's a repeat. You might think that, but this is what John shared on Wednesday night with our students. And I visited their group. And John says this, when you encounter God, it doesn't just lead to your life being changed. It leads you to take God to other people and change their lives. So God changes our lives and God changes the lives of others through us. John said, Esther saved Israel. Nehemiah rebuilt a city for Israel. Peter started the church. Paul spread it all over the known world. And he said, it is easy to think that our encounter with God only matters to us, but it only starts with us. Encounters with God spread to your bus, to your school, to your neighborhood, to your family. John Ortberg says, carrying this same theme, that Christians started education institutions, they value women and children in such a way that's different from the rest of many people around the world. Uh, Christians have pioneered in medicine and started hospitals all over the place, opened orphanages and libraries and schools that have become universities and on and on. We, says Ortberg, live in a world where Jesus' impact is immense even if his name goes unmentioned. This is because God changes the world through people and that's another reason why I follow Jesus Christ. And I saw evidence of this through one of the HRBC members this past week. Matthew and I went to the hospital to see Laura work. And she gave me permission to share this. Uh, She was talking about her experience with the Women of Faith Conference. And as she shared of her passion for women who are in crisis, she told me and Matthew, now he knew the story, uh, but she told us how... Uh, there are women from Caritas and from Embrace Richmond Hillside uh, that were, are, have been invited to the Women of Faith conferences. But this year, the conference was here at the church because of the simulcast. And after it was over, uh, women from HRBC didn't just take these women back to their shelter or wherever they would have been. They booked a hotel. And they all stayed together. And one might think that the church ladies would have stayed in some rooms and the other ladies would have stayed in separate rooms. But Laura said, we all stayed together. I've never heard of anything like that. And I think that's remarkable. And she writes, this is our fourth year of bringing women from Caritas to Embrace Richmond and Embrace Richmond. We wanted to help these ladies have a mountaintop experience This was the first time that we took the women to a local event. We asked people to help sponsor the women's attendance. Many of y'all did that. By being local, it made sponsorship more affordable. For the women staying in the hotel, especially those from Caritas, this is the first bed they've had over a year, the first real bed in over a year. For the women from Hillside, it was a night away from the day-to-day stresses of their lives. And for those of us who stay with the women, it's a chance to remove stereotypes and to really get to know these women. 
Moms are moms no matter what the circumstances. We are women with more in common than not. Our goal, she writes, has been to connect women to God and to each other, to give people a mountaintop experience so they can know God in a different way from what they may experience day to day. One woman spoke of the hope that she had gained from one of the conferences, and she said she had gotten a job afterwards and that she walked into that job with confidence knowing that she was loved by God. The same God who loves each one of us as if there were only one of us to love. Pray with me. Lord, we 